Hey friends, welcome to another episode of RT Engineering Radio. I'm your host today, Steve Hicks, and I am an engineer at RT, and I'm hanging out with my friend John. John, say hi. Hi, everybody. Hi, Steve. I, too, am an engineer at Artsy and excited to chat. John, I have a topic that is very near and dear to your heart, and that yep. is, why is JavaScript so much better than Ruby? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, man, <laughs> equal, 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 man, false. <laughs> Just kidding. John, John hates JavaScript. I love JavaScript. Whatever. Let's talk about PR review instead. So I was doing some stuff earlier this week where I was kind of subbing in for someone who needed another set of eyes on a PR review because they just didn't have time. So I took a look at this PR that I just had no context on. And it was, it wasn't gigantic. It wasn't tiny. It was sizable. You know, it was like, this was like- you describe it as non-trivial? Yes, non-trivial is a great, more professional, more adult way to describe what I'm trying to say. Cool. You're better with words than I am. It was a non-trivial PR, and I just was really struggling to focus on it. And it was like, I'd start to look at it, and I'd start to drift into other, just like I couldn't focus on it, or I'd look at it, and I just, I couldn't piece it all together, and I'd get frustrated. And it made me reach out to our DevHelp channel in Slack, which DevHelp channel is our, I'm just, I just call it our knowledge base channel, Yeah. where people, when you run into a problem, you can't solve it, you just post for help in the DevHelp channel. Usually somebody answers your question, and more often than not, you get it solved, and then mark it with a green check mark that says, we figured it out. And the question that I asked in this channel was... Basically, how do you how do you do non-trivial PRs? Because they just drain me. They crush me. Um, there's something about trying to put myself into the mind or like the the problem space as someone else understands it, where I just don't have context, where I, I feel like I toggle between either if I do it at the effort that my body wants to put into it, it's like looks good to me ship it. Yeah. That's it. Right. No meaningful or productive feedback or constructive or if I want to do something productive and constructive, like I feel like I need to just sit down at my computer for like an hour or two and no distractions focus on this one PR. So that's that was the question that I reached out to everybody for right. help with and I did get some answers, but John I specifically want to ask you about it because I think that you're a person who is really good at reviewing PRs and providing substantial and meaningful feedback regardless of the size of it. So I thought maybe you could share that with me. Yeah. So to maybe reiterate and put some clarifications around this, we're talking about specifically pull requests that we receive where we don't have all the context. We're kind of coming in a little cold. And so how do we go from that? Like, it's almost like bouncing off of you. Like I can't quite get into this PR and and we feel this like tension because we want to do a good job. This person is asking us for, for PR feedback mm-hmm. and, and we feel like some responsibility to like, you know, we've maybe received good PR feedback. We want to give that gift to someone else. Yeah, definitely. So I think there's a couple ways to come at this. 
I don't know if I have a perfect answer. One thing I said to you on that DevHelp thread was like, I mean, the first thing is think about the risk. So if the PR is maybe a new feature that's shipping behind a um, feature flag and like we have some time to do some QA passes to maybe return to choices, like maybe there's not much risk and we can have more of a looks good to me comment and kind of come back to it. If it, of course, maybe is something that is going live or maybe it has to do with like money, that's probably a good one where risk creeps in. One thought I have there is like asking the author of the pull request to pair with you looking at the pull request. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is like literally set up half an hour maybe on the calendar for you and that author to, I mean, what I would do is go commit by commit and set up and, and have them sort of narrate kind of how they got from point A to point B. Maybe it's commit by commit, maybe it's file by file, whatever. Mm -hmm. I know Roop, another engineer at Artsy, chimed in there as well, saying like one of the things he does is pull that PR down to his local machine and like tinker with it. See, maybe, may, you know, maybe it's like a user facing change and you can kind of see the before and after you like check out master, see it there, check out the feature branch, see it there and like mm -hmm. behold, you see the change. Sometimes that can be way, those can be like ways in, it's like techniques to get ways into the, to the work to maybe have a little bit more of a spidey sense about what should be poked at and what's important and what's not. Yeah, definitely. I like the idea of asking someone to sit with you and go through it. it and it makes me, I guess, realize or recognize that this asynchronous PR code review process, it has replaced for many people the idea of a, of a space synchronous code review where, you know, we actually go through this stuff together. And as an, as an old engineer myself, and um, I'll just say you are also. Thank you. Um, distinguished. Distinguished. I, I do like that better. <laughs> as an old engineer, and you a distinguished engineer, I remember those synchronous code reviews of sure. sitting in a room with someone, like putting the code up on projector and uh, going through the code together. I, that actually is like one of the most humiliating code reviews I've ever done. I remember yeah. that being that happening. And like, basically I had started a new job. I had been there for maybe a month and this was like my first substantial, meaningful PR. And I got torn apart Yikes. by the architect to the point that I was like, that was hurtful and I don't want to work here anymore. Right. And so I didn't actually, but that's a, <laughs> that's a different story. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, those, those synchronous code reviews, like there's trade-offs in everything and synchronous code reviews do give you that nice benefit of being able to just talk about this. And, and there's no, gosh, what's the word? There's no delay in the conversation. You know, you, you don't, I don't have to ask you a question. Then you come back four hours later. Then I come back with a follow-up question four hours later, et cetera. That does, right. It doesn't drag on like that. If we do it together, we avoid that and we can just work through that together. On the other hand, you know, these a asynchronous code reviews through pull requests have that nice advantage of being like, well, I don't, we don't have to schedule time to do this. And I can give you this feedback when it's convenient for me. Okay. Another way to think about this is like investment and like an ongoing conversation. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're subbing in, in some temporary capacity where ultimately there's like engineers that are more in the code, more familiar with the context area, whatever that will continue working on this thing. Like mm -hmm. there is value in 
maybe setting up that half an hour or setting aside that hour to really tinker with the pull request, if like your investment in booting up on this will pay off. Mm-hmm. On the grow team where, where, where I work, I have some engineers that are pretty front end focused, whereas I sometimes am working in back end kind of tasks. I don't have a good PR target. I sometimes refer to it as like, I don't have a good, like I'm not often, you know, partnered up with someone. I'm sometimes yeah. kind of working solo. And so um, it's been challenging, but I think it's good. Annalisa, one of the engineers on my team was like sort of volunteering for some pull request reviews. So I just sort of have like started targeting her with pull requests. And I hope and think that she's like booting up and like, beginning to understand more and more every time she sees a pull request from me, like the kinds of things I'm working on, the kinds of changes I'm making. Does she have great reviews or is she able, is she put in a good position to give me a good review in the first one? Maybe not, Mm -hmm. but like maybe by the third one, she'll start to pick up on stuff or she'll start to notice patterns or see when I'm breaking a pattern maybe, or anyway. So another way to think about this is like investment, booting people up and that there's an ongoing conversation. Yeah, definitely. I can't, I can't think of the exact words you said here, but you just alluded to the fact that there are maybe specific things that Annalisa is able to pick out uh, patterns or like, you know, one of the things that I really care about a lot is quality of tests. Mm. And just like, I don't want us to write tests just for the sake of writing tests and just for having code coverage. If we have, honestly, like there are times where I'd rather just not have any tests at all in the code base. If they're going to be hard to read and confusing mm. and, and brittle. What I want out of a test is like, I want to be able to read very clearly, like what this test case is testing, and then identify what makes this test unique from all the other test scenarios. And, and then not look at too much code and have a sense of like, okay, we're doing this thing differently than everything else. Then we're acting and then we're making this assertion. And I want some, you know, some short, clear assertions. I want those assertions to be there to be robust and to not be prone to breaking because an implementation detail changes or something along those lines. And so sometimes that's how I approach a PR that I don't have a lot of context in is if you, if you give me a PR that has tests written, I can add value to this conversation by improving the test coverage or like improving the test quality, I should say, not the test coverage. Um, And so I guess there are, you know, are there other things that, you know, you use as like a, like a little tiny basket of problems to focus on. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of this stuff is like, there's a certain superficial level of pull request feedback that is kind of like avoided by tools like prettier and having mm-hmm. linters mm-hmm. and having, you know, like agreed upon stuff where you're just like, I never have to tell someone how to format this code because yeah. there's just an agreed upon tool. So I like that we have embraced that at Artsy and that I don't have to spend, I spend literally zero time <laughs> thinking about it. Anyway, so there's another aspect of this of like, you know, so you're bouncing off, so you've got a non-trivial pull request. It's in an area that you don't have a ton of context on. You're like having trouble getting into it or trying to figure out how you might give feedback. A way to, a way to like step back and get your bearings could be like, I mean, first of all, get up from your desk, go walk around a little bit, then come back and like look at the JIRA <laughs> ticket that it's referring to. And then sure. imagine how you might approach it and then, you know, spend literally five minutes, you know, thinking about like what's on master currently, how does it compare with the story? And then maybe there's a way to like kind of jumpstart your head that way. And even focusing on the test and thinking, oh, okay. So if we're changing this behavior from 
you know, this thing is not required, this thing is required, then I would expect to see these kinds of tests. Go to the yeah. pull request. Does it contain those kinds of tests? It doesn't? Okay. Well, then maybe there's an opportunity for you and that author to have a conversation about improving like the communication of the tests. Yes, definitely. That's a good way to describe it. Communication of the tests. I do think there's a little bit of a a slippery slope, maybe, in what you're describing about thinking about how you would approach it in that I would appreciate if you came to me with a PR review and said, these tests would make sense to cover this or like to communicate what it is that we're trying to, what the expectations are of our system. I would not appreciate a PR review that came to me and was like, well, I see what you did, but this is how I would approach the problem in the sense of like, mm, I would rewrite this bit of code like this. There, there, like there's a, I, I, there's a little bit of a history for me with, I, that was some feedback that I got from somebody once about how to approach code reviews sure. or PR reviews was, oh, just think about how you would uh, think about the problem and see if it matches. And to me, it was like, I don't care if it matches because mm-hmm. I'm not the one that thought about the problem. Like, but we all model the problem in different ways. And what I would rather do is get myself into the headspace of whoever it was that solved the problem and think about how they modeled the problem in their head. You know, yes, do it critically and make sure that that accounts for all the edge cases and things like that. But I don't want to give someone that feedback of like, no, let's undo this and start over and I'll do this for you. Did you think of the factory class pattern? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, totally. There's, there's definitely some like backseat driving. Is that what you would call it? Sure. But but I, I guess what I was trying to get at more was like that high level five minute take of like, I'm probably, you know, like, like from the rails, I'm probably gonna need to like go to a controller and update this params doohickey. I'm probably gonna have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just like think of the layers or think of kind of those things. And then when you go to the pull request and you see maybe a gap there, oh, actually, I don't see how you've done this for signed out users or whatever the thing is. Like mm-hmm. maybe there's a way you can help them find blind spots, mm-hmm. but getting into the actual implementation details of like, you know, what design patterns they used, whether it's a, you know, whatever of, I don't know. They use this yeah, hook or that kind of hook. That's probably not that important. Right. I'm certainly putting words in your mouth and like twisting them a little bit. So I apologize. But it's good to that. find, it's good to find those anti-patterns. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I just want to, I pulled up the, original question that I posted. And I have some of the other comments on here from people like Roop and Chris that I just wanted to, I'll just, I just want to enumerate them as like some other, other useful things that they talked about. One of them, actually a few of them from Roop were specific to the, the GitHub UI, just like using the different ways to view a PR, you know, whether that's like turning uh, white space changes on or off or doing the split view or the inline view, or like you mentioned earlier, navigating commit by commit instead of te- uh, file by file. So I think that's that's definitely useful. That's a thing where, you know, I feel like the GitHub UI is really powerful in the ways that it can help me review a PR or look at code, but I often don't really know that those things are there. They're, like, I think there's a little bit of a problem with discoverability, but the things that I know are there are really, really useful and powerful. Let's see. What else do we have? I did ask, I asked a question about time boxing. Mm. How do you feel about time boxing PR reviews? I mean, for me, again, this is very linked with ideas around impact risk and like, you know, I mean, at the outset, you said non-trivial pull requests. 
Yeah. So that already leads us to believe that like there's some impact here. It's worth some amount of our time. You know, I don't think I would spend more than an hour on any single pull request. If I'm yeah. getting even into the like 15 minute range, I'm starting to think about, should I, have, should I be doing this on a call with them? Like this is taking right. time. I don't know if this is efficient. Like I'm, I, I, I try to be mindful of, you know, like, <laughs> am I doing something healthy or is this bad? Yeah, definitely. And I don't think that I have a time box. I, uh, I think I threw out the numbers of like an hour or two. That's certainly an exaggeration, but I think I do. There is definitely a point where it becomes like, and that's, I was at that point when I asked this question where it starts to feel like, oh, this is a lot of time and effort. And there's gotta be a better way. And, and I think, you know, what you've said, and also another thing that I'm, I'm seeing in this thread from Chris one of our engineers about asking the original PR author to go back and do a self-review and add notes on things, point out the important bits, like the parts that have, that are, you know, specific to this change versus this is some other refactor that was maybe snuck in or whatever. That is, you know, I guess obvious in hindsight, like sure. just ask. <laughs> yeah. Talk to the person. <laughs> it's, it's a person. You can right. ask them to, to help you. Right. Yeah, definitely. I've had good success with DMing someone and saying, can you help me with this pull request? You know, especially if it's, an, if it's an ongoing thing where like it's worth the time to talk about it so that the next time I get a pull request on this topic, I'm smarter about it. I can give you better feedback. Yeah, totally. I, it builds that like trust and, and connection between the two of you too. We are working on this pull request. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a gatekeeper here to like poop on your code. Right. Cool. The and then the last the last one that I see here that I think is worth calling out is another comment from Chris about trust. He says try to feel less pressure, assume they've done the work well enough with your reviewer without it. You'll never have the same amount of context as them. They figured the problem out. Yeah. That, I think we talked about that a little bit earlier in regards to when I tried to twist your words and put words into your mouth about making me write code the way that you want it written um but but yeah like there is like we said there are two people involved here multiple people maybe it was a pair or group that authored the pr and yeah i think approaching it from like the perspective of like here are the things in my head that i have context about that you might not have context about those things are helpful to provide to maybe like try to guide them like you said to those tests that are missing or those edge cases that aren't necessarily covered but anything more hands-on than that starts to feel a little, a little bit controlling for sure. Yeah. You know, other like sort of environmental things to consider here are like, how's your rollback mm. tooling? Like yeah. if, if this PR is merged, how long will it sit in staging for someone to smoke test before it lands in production? Is there like, do you have good culture around these things so that you can reduce any kind of like, I merged it, but there was a problem. And, and yeah. So like how do we address that? Yeah, for sure. I, that goes along with just all those, all that hygiene about PR size too and scope and making sure that these things are, you know, make them easier for people to review when you author it, make it smaller, make it be about one thing instead of like sneaking in four different refactors into this one PR that uh, adds also adds a feature and then have the ability to merge that directly into your main line, into your trunk. And then deploy that. And like you said, when stuff goes bad, roll it back 
all that stuff is kind of tied in together. The trust and safety stuff. Uh, it's full circle. It sure is. <laughs> John, do you have any other thoughts about pull requests review? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, do, does the author have responsibility here? Are there ways, the you know, when we're at right time and we have the most context, what can we do to help our future selves, our reviewers, our assignees? I think there's a ton of value in having clean and tidy commits mm -hmm. and to get good at rewriting Git history and pushing up commits that are uh, atomic and, you know, building that story through commits. That's my technique. That's, that's not, not the only technique. Self-review PRs are extremely impressive to me. You know, I think you had a blog post that on the RT Engineering blog that kind of highlighted some of these techniques. You know, what what authors, like authors are just in such a good position to save the reviewer's time and to add more context to their pull requests so that even future us has better context. Right, yeah. That's, that's a thing that I've been really embracing lately is that just like putting things in for posterity, things that we talked about in Slack or we talked about in person, just making sure that that still ends up on that PR somewhere so that we can go back and see this is the conclusion we came to and this is why we came to that conclusion. It's all about working asynchronously, right? It, it all is. Yeah. My other topic is, this is starting to feel a little bit like a therapy session for me <laughs> because now I'm going to tell you another story. Steve, my my week. my rates are quite low. We we this is not going to be expensive for you. Let's I'm like this is like back to back therapy sessions for me. I'm stacking them. So so this one is earlier this week. I got an email that made me honestly over the moon excited, and it said something about PDDE. PDDE is like Product Development Design Engineering. It didn't I don't think it said on site. It was like PDDE gathering or something like that. And my thought was. Oh my gosh, we can finally get back together again yeah. in person. Yeah, yeah. And I got, I was like, yeah. Yes. And I saw the date. I'm like, yes, I'm there. I don't care what I have going on. I'm canceling it. Right. And then I, and then I continued to read the email and it said, we're not going to fly everyone in. And I was crushed. Yeah, it's tough. Right back down again. Yeah, yeah. So what it made me think about is we live right now in a world where a lot of people are working remotely as a result of the pandemic. However, not everyone is working remotely the same. Like you and I are remote engineers at Artsy. Before COVID, we worked remotely out of our homes in Milwaukee for me and um, the Twin Cities for you. Once COVID hit, like I remember having a lot of conversations with people that are like, oh, it's just not any different for you, right? But it is so much different. It is. So like, yeah. even, though, even though we have always been remote, remote during COVID, is still completely different. And and some and in some ways, I mean, I'm almost hesitant to say it, but in some ways I've enjoyed the fact yes. that all of my collaborators are remote as well. It puts us all on kind of some even footing that I think can be kind of healthy and nice. But I will definitely echo that when I read that email, I was I was certainly hoping for an opportunity to to be like face to face in person with the whole mm -hmm. RC engineering team or product team. You know, I totally get it. Like due to COVID restrictions like mm -hmm. and rules, there's there's just like no feasibility anytime soon to do that. But maybe we can try to capture some of that energy or some of that spirit of togetherness. So I'm glad they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Until you mentioned this to me, I hadn't realized. So before uh, COVID times, before pandemic times, we had budget to fly 
sometimes call it like the remote solos, meaning you wrote, work in a city outside of the cities of, of Artsy's um, offices. So yeah, we had budget and tried to align schedules where we could come and visit HQ every so often. That's always a really fun time for remote engineers. You maybe set up some dinners, maybe some social events, but just get to like work out of HQ and you know do the same things you do at home, but do them in person yeah. and connect with people. I think I I think I had like quarterly budget, or maybe it was more like three times a year. Anyway, I'm realizing now that we're talking about it that like I really miss those times, and yeah, it's been a, it's it's been a while. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough. I I really just want to hang out with people in real life, and I can do that with some of the people in my home town but sure. i don't work with them there's like a different level of connection with my coworkers. yeah i think the first couple times that i flew into new york to the main office to to do this i felt like i was doing it wrong <laughs> because for a week i was there i don't think i sat down and coded for more than like a minute totally <laughs> and, and they one of the things i really appreciated was just talking to uh like my manager and other other remote solos that was the reason I was there, you know, not to write code, but to make those connections and, and hang out with people and, and build that trust with my teammates. So yeah, I think I probably made about three or four trips in before COVID and I am ready to make the next one for sure. Same, hard same. One other thought occurs to me on this topic, which is, which has to do with attrition and like the team's ever changing look and feel and the people I work with and just acknowledging that when you don't have these face-to-face encounters and people are leaving and people are joining, you're seeing people leave that maybe you had connections with because you had those face-to-face connections with them, Mm -hmm. but you're not making those new connections with the new faces just because it's harder to do that over Zoom or whatever other thing you're doing. And just, so just an acknowledgement that like, there can be some like, oh man, everyone's leaving. It's not true it's probably about the same attrition rate we've had for a while it's just that i'm not getting that boost from meeting the new people and yeah and having that same kind of like connection over a adult beverage or whatever else that kind of offsets the being bummed out by someone leaving yeah definitely and the thing is too that like i've been excited to do any kind of travel personal or otherwise just to get this yeah, haze really. of the pandemic out of my brain i feel like every time i take a trip or i take some time off i feel more and more normal Yep. That was going to be the original topic of this episode was let's just talk about Steve's vacation. But I think yeah, these you, are better you took uh, three weeks off, didn't you? <laughs> I took I took a week off. Oh, OK. Earlier in the year. It just felt like three weeks for me. Yeah, I know. It, it takes a long time for us to get over it. All right, let's wrap this episode up. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks. Um, talk to you later. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Artsy Open Source. Keep up with our blog at artsy.github.io. This episode was produced by Asia Simpson. And thank you, Eve Essex, for our theme music. You can find her on all major streaming platforms. Until next time, this is Artsy Engineering Radio.